Well, if you have your Bible, please turn in it today to Romans chapter 5. We'll be continuing in the next couple of verses here in Romans 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, then get one of the black pew Bibles. It's on the end of each pew in that Bible. I believe it's on page 942 that you'll find that scripture. And uh, let's go ahead right now and read together. We'll start in verse 1. I'll read through verse 5. And we are planning today to be in verses 3 through 5. And I'm pretty sure that it's actually going to just be verses 3 and 4 today. There we go. That's my fault. Okay. It should sound better now. Okay. Romans chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, here we, here we are for our text for today. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. I wonder if you've ever thought about why was it that so many people were willing to follow Jesus during his earthly ministry and then abandoned him at the end? Uh, now, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. Anytime you ask for, well, what's the reason behind X, there's going to be more than just one reason, especially something that's as big and complex of a question as that, and there are some reasons given in Scripture about what's going on in people's hearts and why it is that, that people want to remain in the darkness and not be in the light. But I wonder if you just asked some of those people who had been part of those, those huge throngs and crowds who walked after Jesus on the day that he was going to the cross, why is it that you're not following him now? I think the reason would have seemed pretty obvious to them. The reason is because well, we didn't sign up to follow somebody to the cross. When, when Jesus came, he came with, as the long-expected Messiah. But he didn't come as people expected the Messiah to come. They, there were people who were waiting for the restoration of the kingdom of Israel in terms of the reestablishment of the throne of David. You know, these Jewish people at the time were under the oppression of the Roman government. And it was horrible, and there were terrible things happening in that. And they were seeking for this sort of a, a political freedom. And they thought that Jesus might be the one to bring it finally, after such a long expectation. So you know what they were doing, most of these throngs of people who followed after Jesus, they were, they were following somebody who they thought would take them out of oppression and into victory, out of suffering and into comfort. So they didn't want to walk into suffering. They wanted to walk out of suffering. And when it became apparent that Jesus was not going to the throne, that he was going to the cross, all these people disappeared. They abandoned him. I think that was probably the primary thing that was going on with Judas. Although, again, there's a lot going on with Judas. But he seemed to be out for money. He seemed to think that by following after Jesus that he'd be able to obtain this high position, and when he finally figured out that's not what Jesus is going for, he cut his losses. He got his 30 pieces of silver. He was out. So many of those people who were in the crowds that were following after Jesus, they wanted their best life now. They wanted to have 
all kinds of prosperity and comfort now in this life. But Jesus said something very different. Jesus said it in a lot of ways, in a lot of places, but here's one place he said it, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, usually when somebody talks about staying on the straight and narrow, what they're talking about is be a good boy, be a good girl. But I think what Jesus was talking about there was not just that there is difficulty in doing what is right ethically and morally. I think he was saying this is a hard path of suffering. If you're looking for the easy, comfortable path, that's the path of destruction. But if you're going to follow after me into eternal life, you need to know that the way is narrow and hard that leads to life. Jesus said, whoever would come after me must take up his cross daily, must die to himself. That's not the kind of thing that would attract a whole lot of followers today, and it's the kind of thing that drove away a whole lot of followers from him. Now, obviously, he was doing all kinds of things that attracted people, that, that were, that were uh, compelling in, in terms of healing diseases. Well, that's comfort for the people. Providing food miraculously, that is comfort for the people. But then when they realized it's not all just about healed diseases and free bread, they were out of there. They were out of there. Now, where we find ourselves right now in, in Romans chapter 5 is we have just seen that if we have faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that is what we need more than anything else. Regardless of what you think is your greatest need in this life, your greatest need is to be at peace with your Creator, not to be an enemy of His who would be destroyed in the day of judgment, but to be on His side. For him to count you as his child, to count you as righteous, to bring you into his kingdom. And believer, I have good news for you, and this is what we talked about last time, but I just want to emphasize it. From the very moment that you come to faith in Jesus, you have peace with God. When you trust in Jesus, God is no longer against you for your sins. God is now for you against your sins. And as you come to Jesus and as you have peace with God, you need to know that there is still suffering ahead of us. Sometimes when we think about peace with God, you'd think about that in terms of a peaceful life. But that's not what it says. When we have peace with God, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything in our lives will be easy and at peace. And so that's why we get here in verse 3 where he says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're setting our minds on, on Jesus. He says, but not only that... Not only that, not only do we rejoice in that future hope of glory where one day everything's going to be all right, everything's going to be fine, there'll be no more tears, no more suffering. He says in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That sounds like the opposite, doesn't it? Why would he say that? It sounds so strange. Now, what happens sometimes with, with Christians is when they have had a life that's been going pretty well, 
and then suddenly they find themselves in the middle of suffering, they say, has God turned against me? What have I done? Why would God do this to me? Well, here's what this says. If your faith is in Christ, you have peace with God. God is not against you. And in fact, it says here, you can rejoice in your sufferings. Rejoice in your sufferings. That word rejoice, it's the same word that was translated as rejoice in verse 2. And it's the same word that was translated back in chapter 3, verse 27, as boast. Where it said this, what becomes of our boasting, it is excluded. He says, if you have come to faith in Jesus, there is no such thing as that rejoicing in yourself, as that boasting in yourself. You, you, You don't come to Jesus and say, look at what a great person I am. This is why God has accepted me. No, the fact that we are justified by faith says it drives out every bit of boasting that you could possibly have. Anything that you would say, well, I am the kind of person who blank, and that's why God accepts me, absolutely not. No, justification by faith, being forgiven and given the gift of eternal life by faith alone in Christ alone, it takes away every bit of boasting from us, but it doesn't take away joy. It says our boasting turns from things that would be about us. That's the old self, that's the flesh, that's the way that we'd want to try to promote ourselves. Now our boasting turns to the hope of the glory of God. Our boasting turns to Christ. Our boasting turns to the cross of Christ in which I glory. Our boasting here, our joy, our rejoicing here, it says, turns to say we rejoice in our sufferings. Boy, again, that just sounds weird. It sounds weird, but I want you to know that's not the only place in the Bible that says something like this. In fact, I can't possibly read you right now all of the places in the Bible that say something like this, or I would just be reading verses for the rest of the time instead of preaching a sermon, which might not be bad. But here's what it says in James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's pretty much the same thing that these verses say. But he says, count it joy when you suffer, when you meet trials of various kinds. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's after he pleaded three times for God to take away his suffering. Jesus said no. And then in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul says, "I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Oh, it almost sounds opposite, doesn't it? I want to share in the resurrection. I want to be like him in his sufferings. Those things are right there together. You realize we're following after a crucified Savior, right? It, it, it ought not to be surprising if we suffer. Now, this is 
couple more places. Romans 8, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I'll skip a verse and then it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He doesn't say in spite of these things. He says in all these things we are more than conquerors. He says, he says that because we cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ. In Acts 5, it says, when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then what did the apostles do? Did they run away from Jesus? Did they say, well, God has turned against us because now we're being beaten for following Jesus? No, it says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Amazing, amazing. Now, why? Why does the Bible say all these things like this about rejoicing, being conquerors in suffering, about wanting to share in the sufferings of Christ, counting it all joy when you meet various trials? Does, does the Bible just think that we ought to be self-destructive, suicidal kinds of people? Are we going to meet some kind of a platonic Greek philosophical system of trying to say, well, we, we, we need to do whatever we can just to, to die so that we can escape this mortal coil and, and find true spiritual freedom? Well, no, that's not the way that the Bible speaks. What it says, though, is that it's not in the suffering itself that we rejoice, but what we rejoice in is what God does through it. That's what it says here. It says, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Well, here's the answer. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. All right? Let's break that down. Let's think about why is it that we can rejoice in suffering? Why is it that suffering is something that we as Christians can look at and say, God is faithful to me. God is good to me. God is working the hope of glory in me. Well, he says in verse 3, Rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. Let's think about that word endurance. Another way that that word is translated is patience. In fact, some of you might have a, a Bible translation that translates it as patience in this verse. It is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Another way to put endurance or patience is this, the word perseverance. When we suffer, and God takes us through these things, it would grow in us perseverance. Now, around here at this church, we really like what we call the doctrine of perseverance, right? We're a bunch of Calvinists. We love it when the tulips come up in the spring, and we can explain to everybody what the T-U-L-I-P is, and the P at the end of it is this, the perseverance of the saints. Why do we love that doctrine? Because the Bible teaches that doctrine, and because it comforts us. We can look at what Jesus says that no one can snatch them out of my hand. You hear that? It says, all that the Father has given to me will come to me, and I will raise them up on the last day. That's a pretty clear statement right there. This doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, it means that everybody that God saves will make it all the way to glory. 
There's no such thing as someone who God saves who then gets unsaved. There's none of this going back and forth between saved and unsaved and, and, and not knowing. And, uh, and there, there's no such thing as a person who is saved, and then in the end, it turns out that they've fallen away and they won't make it. Now, there is such a thing as people who profess faith in Jesus, and it's not real. Jesus talked about that pretty clearly. But if I'm not talking about what man does. I'm talking about what God does. If God has saved someone, they will be raised on the last day. That's what Jesus said. They will persevere to the end. So we love the doctrine of perseverance. But when we say perseverance, you know what we're saying? We're saying that it involves persevering. And when you say persevering, persevering through what? What what does it mean to persevere? Does it mean that we're going to have an easy ride to heaven? Do you persevere through a first-class seat on an airplane? No, persevering, even that very idea right there, means there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be trials. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be stuff that has to get persevered through. Have you persevered if you coast through life with ease? No. You persevere through tribulations. Here's the way that, that Paul and Barnabas put it in Acts 14.22. By the way, a couple weeks ago I preached on Acts 14.23 where it says at the end of their, their missionary journey, their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas went to every church that they had planted and appointed plural elders. Ah, praise God. Part of the reason they needed to appoint plural elders was because of what it says was coming for them in Acts 14.22. It says they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You hear that? These brand new Christians, excited in their faith, you, you, you know what this is like. You come to know Jesus and you are excited you love Jesus. You are on fire. You know uh, my, my hope is in heaven. I am okay. I am settled for eternity. I want to tell the world. You know that joy, but he's coming to these brand new Christians in this mountaintop moment and saying, you're going to suffer. It is going to be through many tribulations that you must enter the kingdom of heaven. He's telling them, be ready. God's going to persevere you, but you need to persevere. There's going to be suffering. And this phrase, in this verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 3, tells us that when we suffer, part of God's purpose in that is to grow our patience. Now, God doesn't tell us every reason for every suffering. Sometimes we would want to know. The whole book of Job, if I could sum up the purpose of that book, I'd say God does not have to tell you the reasons for your suffering. He has purposes that are beyond us that we don't know. And yet, by his grace, in his wisdom, his word does tell us some of the reasons that he has built in any time we suffer. And it says, believer, right here, one of the reasons that God would bring suffering into your life is so that you would have endurance, patience, perseverance produced in your life. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, and so we should pray for it. Now, I've, I've grown up in church. 
I'm 40 years old now. The last 40 years, I have heard church people say, don't pray for patience. <laughs> Almost thought it was a Bible verse because I've heard it so many times. But patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit. You should pray for it. It is a good thing for God to increase patience, perseverance in your life. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And when God brings suffering, he can grow that. What does that look like? What does that perseverance, that patience look like in us? Well, it would have something to do with what's going on inside our hearts, something to do with what's going on on the outside that will come out as well. What's, what's going on inwardly where there's patience, perseverance? Well, inwardly, there would be trust in God and enjoyment of God in the middle of suffering. We are called to trust in God's good purposes for us, even when those purposes are not apparent. We, we all know that Bible verse, Romans 8, 28, that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And yet sometimes life hurts, and you say, I don't know how this is for my good. But part of perseverance, part of patience is to say, even though I don't know, I trust that it's true. I trust that he's doing what he said in the next verse and conforming me into the image of his son through these things. We would trust God that he has good purposes and we would enjoy God. Even in the middle of suffering, even in the middle of saying, God, I don't know why you have in your providence brought these suffering circumstances to me, yet I will rejoice. I will love God. I will not turn to God in anger. I will turn to God in love. That's part of what patience looks like. When that inward patience, when that fruit of the Spirit flows out outwardly, it looks like praising God, and it looks like obeying God. When you're in the middle of suffering, and you grumble, is that patience? Is that perseverance? That's not what that looks like. What we are to do instead is to praise God. We don't want to be like the Israelites in the wilderness where around every corner, every time they didn't have enough water or things started to get hard in some other way, it's like they forgot everything that God had ever said and done for them. And they started grumbling. God, this is your fault. Why did you bring us here? We should have died in Egypt. We should, have, we should go back there. Uh, or, or, God, you shouldn't have given us this leader, Moses. We can't believe what he is leading us into. Grumbling, 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 and how tempted we are when our circumstances are not what we would want to grumble. And we think we're just grumbling against the circumstances. Or we're thinking we're, we're, we're just saying the obvious of someone has sinned against me in this way, or this thing has come about, this, this is not good, and yet... There's a way to acknowledge the existence of evil without grumbling against God. Did you know that when you grumble about your circumstances, you are grumbling against the creator and sustainer of the universe who's brought those circumstances about in your life? You don't have to be happy about the circumstances, but you've got to trust God. Don't grumble and complain. That's the opposite of patience. Another thing that it looks like outwardly when we would have that perseverance, that patience grown in our hearts is that it would flow out in obeying God. Obeying God rather than taking the easy way out. You know, there's so many circumstances of suffering where there is an easy way out. Now, some, sometimes there's not. Sometimes suffering is just suffering 
when you have a disease that you don't know how it's going to be treated, when you have things going on that are just so far beyond your control, and yet there's also so many ways that people can look and say, but if I would just compromise on this, things would get better. Things would feel better. If, if I could just drown my sorrows in the bottle, I would feel better. If I could use substances and disobey the command to remain sober-minded that's all over the New Testament, boy, I'd feel better. That's not perseverance. If you could say, well, my marriage has gotten hard. The easy way out may be, I'll just break my marriage vows. No. You could say, well, finances have gotten hard, but if I would just twist this rule and do this thing and go this unethical way, then maybe my finances would improve. You could say, my life has gotten hard. I said a second ago there's no easy way out if you have horrible diseases, but you know what? More and more our culture says, oh, absolutely there is. It's called dignity and dying. You know what the Bible calls that? Murder. Suicide. Self-murder. That's an easy way out that is completely disobedient to God. There's shrinking back from the truth of the Bible. When the world would come against us and say, no, you ought not to believe those things. Those things are bigoted. That's, they love that word. When they say, no, you should not say that you have the only way to heaven. What an incredibly arrogant thing to say when there are so many people who are so sincere in so many other religions. When the world would say all kinds of things against Christ and would mock and ridicule us, the easy way out would be to just back away. So just say, well, let's, let's just not, let's just have, have calm waters here instead. But you know what perseverance, what patience looks like? It looks like obeying God, even when there's an easy way out. It looks like praising God, trusting God, enjoying God, even through the rough waters, even through the suffering circumstances he would bring us through. You know who we should look to for an example of patience? You know the answer. Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, let us run with endurance. That's the word we just had here. Endurance. Perseverance. Patience. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, Jesus went through the suffering of the cross, walked right through it, not saying, hooray, I get to suffer. He says, despising the shame, and yet he did it with his mind set on the joy that was set before him. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this says, look to him. Believer, when you are suffering, look to the joy that is set before you in Jesus and persevere. Enjoy God, rejoice in God, praise God, obey God. Another thing that God does in our suffering is he uses that endurance to produce character. We rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Verse 4, and endurance produces character. 
Now, again, character is one of these words that if you have different translations of the Bible, they might have translated that word a little bit differently. In the King James Version, it translates it as experience. There's another version I looked at that translates it as proven character. The word here has to do with testing a metal. It's where you would put this precious metal through the fire in order to see if it's genuine, if it comes out on the other side still intact. And he's saying that's part of what God does through suffering in the Christian's life, is he takes us and he tests us, and on the other side of it, there is character. It's character that's built up, and it's character that is proven through those things. In 1 Peter 1, he puts it like this. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while it was necessary that you have been grieved by various trials. That's suffering. He says, here's the purpose for it. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. So God does these things in part just to try us. Now, why would God have to try us? Doesn't he already know everything? He knows whether we're genuine or not. It's not like God is, is, is saying, I, I don't quite know whether his faith is real, so I'm going to put him through a trial and find out. No, God knows everything. In fact, God is the one who gave the faith. God is the one who makes people to be born again by the power of his spirit. So what is a trial for? Well, a trial is to demonstrate the genuineness of the faith. And a trial is not just to demonstrate it, but to grow it to grow it, to grow you up in character so that when you come through this fire, you're not just demonstrated to be genuine in the grace of God in you, but you're strengthened on the other side of it. Now, there are trials that hypocrites would go through too. Those who are fake Christians, those who claim the name of Christ for whatever reason, and yet their faith is not in Jesus, sometimes they go through trials as well. What was the result of that? Well, Jesus said this in Matthew 13. He he was telling the parable of the soils, which is that the gospel goes out, lands on different kinds of hearts, has different kinds of results. He said that there's some seeds, it says, that fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And then his disciples asked him to explain the parable, and when he explained that part, he said, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. You might say, walks the aisle, (coughs) makes a profession of faith, and yet he has no root in himself, which means God has not caused him to be born again. But he endures for a while, And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, what does he do? It says immediately he falls away. What does it look like when true faith is tried? Well, it looks like driving to Jesus. But what does it look like when hypocrisy is tried? Well, falling away. You see, when a a pretend Christian is tested by suffering, they run away from Jesus. When a genuine believer, somebody who has been given a new heart by the Holy Spirit to look to Jesus and be saved by faith, 
when a genuine believer is tested by suffering, they don't run away from Jesus. They run to Jesus. You know this. You know this from your own experience in your life, believer. You know this from watching other believers when they've gone through suffering. You see this. People who go through suffering with faith in Jesus, they draw near to Jesus. They don't look at God and say, I have to get away from you. This is not what I signed up for. Where is my health and my wealth and my best life now? No, they don't say that. They say, God, you are my hope in life and death. You are my only comfort. And they run to Jesus through the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they rest in Jesus' arms in the middle of that trial. That's what a believer does. You've seen this. We've seen this. We see this even right now among some of our own members who are going through suffering and difficulty. It says this in, in, in Romans 12, 12. This is what it looks like. You rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. That's what it looks like. And not only does suffering test and prove and build our faith, it tests and proves God's faithfulness. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.10, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. This is part of what God does through these things, is He proves not just the genuineness of our faith, but that He is faithful through everything. I love what Charles Spurgeon said, and it's in your bulletin today. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Oh, love that. Whatever suffering it is, as it drives us to Jesus, we say, I rejoice in my suffering because that suffering is producing endurance and that endurance is producing character. And that character produces hope. That's where we go next in verse 4. A character produces hope. And we talked about hope last week because hope was in verse 2. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And, and when it said that, it's talking about that, that future hope that every believer of all time will, will see where, where we are going to be face-to-face -face with Jesus. We will be like him because we will see him as he is. We will behold his glory that he had with the Father from before the foundation of the world. We are going to be in the new Jerusalem. We're, we're going to walk by the light of Christ. We're going to eat from the 12 fruits of, of the tree of life as it bears them in season. We, we're going to be rejoicing rejoicing forever and ever, every tear wiped away, no pain, no suffering. We know that. When you come to verse 4 and it talks about character producing hope, I wonder, how does that work? How does character produce hope? Wouldn't we just have hope immediately upon the point of believing? Well, the answer is yes, we do. Immediately when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that you have eternal life. You have a certainty of hope in heaven. So I think it's talking about hope just a little bit differently in this verse. I think it's talking about it in the terms that we might call something more like assurance. When we talk about our hope, we're usually talking about the certainty of being with Christ in heaven. And here, I think it's talking about that personal certainty being built up. This is something that believers struggle with all the time. Or I should put it this way. 
Some believers struggle with this all the time. All the time, there are some believers who are struggling with the, their own assurance, saying, well, if the trials come, am I going to fall away? Am I really genuine? Am I really going to make it to the end? Do I really have enough faith? Well, here's one of the things that God would do in your life through suffering, believer. He would grow your hope. As you go through suffering, and God uses it to build patience and perseverance, as that perseverance increases and tests your character in Christ, what does that do? It produces hope. It reassures you, I really am part of God's kingdom. I really am a child of God. I've gone through these things and I've seen the faithfulness of God and I have not looked to myself. I couldn't look to myself through this suffering. I couldn't look to see how strong is my faith. I have to plant my feet instead on the rock of ages. I have to look to Jesus. By the way, if, you, if you're looking for your insurance, or your, excuse me, your assurance to increase and you're looking at yourself, you are not going to find assurance inside your own heart. Okay? You're going to find assurance by looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But as God takes us through trials, he's going to grow us in that. Our hope, our assurance, it starts by looking to the righteousness of Jesus, and it gets built up as God would grow spiritual fruit in us through suffering. How does that proven character that comes through suffering, how does it increase our assurance? Well, I'll just read you what it says in 2 Peter 1. It says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Do you know what that's saying? Proven character. All of those things, starting with faith, ending with love and everything in the middle, that is proven character. And he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on a couple verses later and says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. That's assurance. That's hope. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So God would take us from the point of, of, of suffering through endurance to proven character to this solid hope of assurance in Christ. You see, when God takes us through these trials, it's not evidence that we're not at peace with God. It's not evidence that God has turned against us. It is God doing good things toward his children through what the world would say is evil. And in fact, even as we endure evil, even as Jesus endured evil and mocking and shame from those people who spit on him and mocked him at the cross, you know what he was doing? He was persevering with the joy set before him. And when we do that as Christians, he takes us from that point of just trusting to now a proven character and a grown and solid assurance. So how can we rejoice in our sufferings? Well, it's because suffering produces endurance endurance produces character and character produces hope you need to come to faith in jesus if you're not in jesus already if you're not in jesus you will still suffer in various ways 
But how can you do that without the rock of Jesus? I don't understand how people go through sufferings and difficulties in life without the hope of Jesus in front of them. I just don't get it. I don't know. But when we look to Jesus, we can say, here's the guy who went through the absolute worst possible thing, the wrath of God being poured out on him. And he came out on the other side alive and victorious. That's the guy that I want to put my trust in. The guy who would die for my sins, for me, out of love, and rise from the dead and be my Lord. Trust in Jesus. There is no other way to a steady and sure hope through whatever sufferings may be in front of you. Don't look to the world and say, well, what, what does the world lay out for me as the easy path? What, 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 how, how am I going to find comfort and hope in things of this world? No, look to Jesus. Take up your cross, follow him, put your faith in the crucified Savior, and be saved. And for us who know Jesus, when he brings these trials and these sufferings into our life, we can look at this and we can say, we rejoice in our sufferings because of what God's going to do through it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have sent Christ for us. I thank you that he suffered in our place for us. I thank you that he's risen from the dead victorious. And I thank you for the ways that you would use even suffering in the lives of Christians for your purposes, to grow us in the fruit of the Spirit, to increase our assurance and our hope and our steadfastness in Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are going through suffering right now. If anybody's suffering apart from Christ, I pray that you'd rescue them from hopelessness and bring them to Jesus. God, I pray for those who are suffering as they trust in Jesus. Lord, you know your purposes. We know very few of your purposes, but we thank you for the ones that you have told us, like this right here. And so I pray that you would uh, show mercy and grace and help in time of need. And Lord, build us in endurance, build us in patience, build us in character, build us in hope. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.